Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be a huge adjustment period for, for the guy. And there's even times when, when personally, I step off the mound, need a breath. Right. I'm really big into breathing. So I'm not the biggest, I'm not the biggest um, fan of, of the pitch clock rule. You know what I mean? I, I don't believe in telling Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, that these guys have to throw a pitch in a certain amount of time because there's a whole preparation that people don't understand that goes into delivering a quality pitch. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, David Hall, Bruce Levine. Until 11 o'clock, that was Marcus Stroman. Like so many pitchers in so many spring training complexes this week, talking about the changes to the game and how it will affect their approach between pitches, between innings, between games. Bruce, the rules changes are going to have an impact on the fan experience as well. Real quickly, there's going to be 15 seconds between pitches if the bases are uh, empty and 20 if there's a runner on, that's going to change uh, how they approach, and it's going to be something that I think increases the pace of the game. There will be shift restrictions. The defensive team will have a minimum of four players in the infield and at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. That will change the approach. And then finally, bigger bases increasing from 15 inches to 18 on each side, which in theory they have the evidence to back it up, will be safer and, in, and reduce injuries theoretically. But also, it's going to invite base stealers to say, I can get there faster because the base is bigger and those four and a half inches is going to make a difference and I can get to second base. Last year, MLB's base stolen leader was 41 bases. That was the number one base stealer in Major League Baseball. That'll change because of his rule changes, Bruce. I'm excited to see how it does affect the game. Well, I think uh, if you're taking your last point uh, a little further, the, the most essential thing will be the fact that the pitcher can only throw over or even step off twice and not be able to throw to first base. So you, you add the extra three inches on the bag, and then you add the fact that you don't have to be the fastest base runner or the best base runner to be able to steal a base. Knowing you can take as big a lead as you want, albeit uh, – being fearful that the catcher can back pick you and, and pick you off that way uh, with pitch out. So I think so the, the, the game is going to uh, change because base stealing won't necessarily be for base stealers anymore. It's for people that can work that advantage uh, into the mix of not throwing over or uh, perceiving that a catcher won't throw over or, uh, or a pitcher won't throw over and then having that advantage in your head. So 
I expect to be a, a huge difference in stolen bases uh, going forward next year. I believe the emphasis on speed players that are in the minor leagues now is, is going to resurface, and, and you're going to see specialists, especially uh, uh, impactful late in games again with this rule that's going to really put an awful lot of pressure on the pitcher and catcher to control the running game uh, late in a ball game. Major League Baseball did a tremendous job this week getting out in front of this and selling it in a way that surprised me because Major League Baseball doesn't do that very often very well. They're not, they're not the, the most PR-savvy organization in, in professional sports as we have seen, but Theo Epstein was out front and center on the MLB Network, on different interviews. He was on the Mullion Haw Show on Friday morning, Bruce, and I think we began our interview talking about just how these rules changes are going to cater to baseball fans. The standard can't be to make everybody happy because that's, that's never, as a famous American once said, you, know, you can't please all the people all the time. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. But, look, these rules are rule changes are designed for the fans. And so – I think it will, in, in the long run, go really well and make for a better version of baseball, a more entertaining product for the fans, and therefore you know, greater interest uh, in, in the game and a better industry overall for everybody. That's what it's all about. The fan experience, people want to know that they're not going to be there for four and a half hours necessarily, four hours. I, I, and also just between seven pitches. Innings. Seven innings. Well, well, no, I don't think you need to get crazy here, Bruce. I mean, nine innings is still That's nine innings. That's not crazy. We're catering nine to innings. the modern fan. Well, I mean, look, they can have a little discipline. There's a, there's a happy medium to find here. I, the best thing that we'll he see. said about that is, is that it's like it, it will be like Mark Burley pitching for both teams. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, you know, again, we're catering to the uh, – the viewer, listener, uh, fan, or quasi-fan who's between, what would you say, 18 and 45, right? Uh, that, that's, yeah. who, that's who baseball wants to market to right now because they understand that the average age in baseball of watching uh, all their top events uh, mostly has been in the – 53, 54 year old average age. That's scary, uh, because there's a there's a 10 year gap that's missing there that uh, Major League Baseball is fearful of, and, and that's why we've seen some dwindling attendance and some uh, a, a little bit of erosion as far as the watching audience goes. So, from that perspective, David, I I think that we're catering to a certain element of baseball. I think the uh, the older fans are content with the game. They've been watching it for their whole lives, and they'll sit through three-hour ball games. Right now, uh, nobody wants a three-hour ball game. They want it two hours and thirty minutes. Let's see if these rules get to it. I hate the, uh, the you know, this week very very quietly, they confirmed that the uh, runner on second base is going to be a, uh, a a permanent part of Major League Baseball rules in the tenth inning on. Uh, it's consistent. It's consistent, though, because if you're going to make the game more digestible in terms of length, then this is consistent with that logic. 
yeah, I, I understand it's consistent, but it's just uh, it's anti everything that uh, sports are about, meaning earning your way to a victory, earning your way uh, five yards, 10 yards down the field, earning your way to a three point shot, earning your way on base. There's no earning your way. It's just it's an automated way of playing a video game in the 10th inning on. I'm sure people have reactions and opinions on the rules changes. 312-644-6767. What do you think? What do you like? What don't you like? And are you going to be more likely to go to a game if you think it might be shorter, it might be quicker, you might not have to wait you know, 45 seconds between pitches, you're going to have 15, and does the shot clock make you nervous? Or the pitch clock, because that's what Mully introduced this week. Is like, now he's got anxiety going to a Sox game, even yep. more so than normal. But we'll see how it manifests itself. One thing, though, Bruce, in terms of the difference, uh, the different rules as they apply, you know, the, the banning the shift, I think it puts a premium on middle infielders and the athleticism that they're going to require to cover more ground. And we see that firsthand here in Chicago with the Cubs. They emphasize that when going to get uh, Dansby Swanson and moving Nico Horner to second base. They essentially have two shortstops up the middle. So I asked Theo Epstein, who knows a little something about roster construction, how this might change the overall value of middle infielders. There's going to be a premium on middle infield defense, especially the second baseman. I think that's the the position that um, the profile changes the most um, because the, you know, the most, the most effective shifts were in the past were against left-handed hitters and you could really hide, you know, uh, a third baseman playing, you know, a, a third base profile um, at second base, knowing that when, when a lefty was up, you could put him in a position where he didn't have to range that much and give the shortstop the, the majority of the hard work. Well, now that second baseman is going to be, Naked, he's got to cover you know, along with the first baseman, cover the whole right side of the infield. You can't stick him deep, deep into shallow right field. So, range, athleticism, ability to make plays at the extremity of your range. So, in other words, diving plays where you where you leave your feet, uh, glove the ball, and, and pop up quickly and throw throw the the, base, the batter runner out. That's going to be extremely important. So, I don't think teams are going to try to get away with a bat first you know, sort of corner profile at second base anymore. I think you're going to need more athletic second baseman. That's, I think that's good for, good for the game. That was Steve Epstein, Bruce. Did the White Sox miss that memo? Oh, wow. So, you, <laughs> so you, you're not as high on uh, Sosa as you were last year. Is that, is that no, you're saying? right. I'm not as high on <laughs> Lenin Sosa necessarily. That was for a spark, but you can definitely point to me. I did have the Lenin Sosa infatuation for a – uh, two-week period in June, maybe a little bit longer. But Theo's point is well taken. Guys who are bat-first guys, maybe not the most athletic uh, fielders, it might not be fits at second base. And, and I thought immediately, we talked about this on Friday, you feel bad for a guy like Jake Berger who had worked hard to get himself in a position to play second base, and you wonder if this is maybe the end of that kind of experimenting. You wonder where this is headed because – of the premium placed on athleticism at those two middle infield spots. The, the one area he didn't uh, approach, which is really significant, is if there's a man on base and you have a left-handed hitter up, what do you do about that? Uh, because now, you're, now you've created even a bigger hole because the first baseman has to hold the runner on. Okay, so, so that, that is an even more significant part of it. Yeah, they've always done that, but now that, that was covered up because you had – 
a third baseman or a shortstop in that hole along with the second baseman. I'm just wondering about outfield defense, David, and if uh, the creativity goes to, well, you haven't told us that we can't shift our outfielders. So when you have an extreme pull hitter up, why not shift an outfielder over to a uh, a right center, exactly. uh, right short center position? So that's still within the rules. So let's say hypothetically, first time Cubs play the Phillies. Kyle Schwarber's at the plate. Ian Happ's in left field. Ian Happ's a pretty versatile guy. He used to play second base. Bring him in. Put him in short right. He doesn't have to be in the infield, but he's still going to be in a position where if there's a a line drive, hit the short right, he could still throw out Kyle Schwarber at first base. But if you're Kyle Schwarber and you see left field wide open, Bruce, doesn't that maybe entice you to try to maybe choke up, go the other way? I know it's easier said than done, but that's a higher risk. It's more pressure in the pitcher catcher to make the right pitch. Okay. Yeah, right. So and and, uh, and what are you giving up here in in that short run? What you're giving up is if it's a slow runner like a Schwarber or a Rizzo, you're giving up an extra base uh, if they do hit the ball the other way. You, you're you're making a double into a, a triple or a uh, a single into a double. Uh, in in the case of a a speed player. It could cost you, you know, it could cost you a run from from first base because of the fact that uh, somebody is going to have to hightail out there, and by the time it gets in, you'll have a man on third base, and the other run will have scored. So uh, the, there'll be there'll be people that will experiment with it. I, I I guarantee you, and you'll see it in spring training. That'll be fun to see how it all unfolds, and I do think people will get used to the pitch clock and the increased pace of the game and I think in minor leagues you talk to people who are in the booths at those games maybe people who were just fans they appreciated the fact that it it was a little bit more of a rapid paced game and and there weren't as many lulls in in the action maybe that'll result in a more entertaining brand of baseball and people you know of a certain age won't care they'll be there anyway but I think that you can't ignore the young audience and the way that baseball has to continue to try to appeal to them. I agree. And look, uh, I, I've been wrong before. I was the guy that um, when uh, when Bud Selig came up with the idea of interleague play, I, I didn't like it. OK, I thought it was a bad idea. It turned out to be a great idea. It turned out to be something where the fans got to see all the players from all the teams eventually. And now they've taken it to another level where you're going to be guaranteed of seeing every team in your ballpark within a two-year period uh, for sure, and that your your team is going to play every team in baseball every year. So um, as much as uh, I, I have to be pulled into some of these things, you know, I have to keep an open mind that uh, some of these things are going to work out to the advantage of uh, the fan and the game. Uh, well, that again, was good for the game, and I think Theo Epstein being in charge of a baseball team is also good for baseball. And so before we let him go on Friday morning, had to ask him at this time of year, Okay, you look out, it's, it's, it's late February, teams are, are reporting to spring training. How much does he maybe miss running a team, and could that be in his future? Theo, you did a great job explaining it, but admit it, you, you miss running a team a little bit, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's weird. This, this time of year, I wake up, and I, I have that feeling like I'm forgetting something. I realize, you know, like my body thinks I'm supposed to be in spring training right now, meeting <laughs> with players, figuring stuff out. So, yeah, this, 
this time of year, you know, the draft, the trade deadline, postseason, uh, really do miss it. But I'm not even 50 yet, so I got, I got some years ahead of me to get back in. I think this is uh, – I'm in the right role right now. I really appreciate the commissioner um, giving me the seat at the table for this important issue. Bruce, that was great to hear from Theo. He uh, sounded like somebody who took this role very seriously, and this is also part of his legacy. But as he reminded us quickly, not done yet. There's going to be another act. And I think anybody who doesn't think it's going to be a good one hasn't been paying attention. He's going to win again somewhere. I really just feel like it's just a matter of time. I think he should be a hitting coach because, uh, you know, he and Jed have had such a hard time finding the right hitting coach, you know, over these long periods of time. You know, they've done such wonderful things and built championship teams. But, you know, the the hitting situation, I, I would love to see a guy like Theo come back as a hitting coach, he spent so much time with his big brain investigating it and figuring out what works and what doesn't. You know, come back and I'd like to see Theo in uniform. Let's see him in, in, in No, uniform. I think he comes back as somebody who is the front person of uh, whether it's a, you know, call him baseball president, call him COO, COEO, whatever you want to call him. He's going to be a difference maker, an impactful leader. He'll have maybe part ownership of a group. And as Sean Sears points out, he could be the guy that saves the A's, whether they're in Oakland or Las Vegas or Portland or wherever they may be. He could be the guy that saves the A's. And you remember back to Moneyball, can you imagine that collaboration? <laughs> Billy Bean and Theo Epstein saved the, saved the Oakland slash Portland slash Vegas A's. I don't know where it's going to be, Bruce, but wherever he goes next – I, I don't think he's going to be restricted to being a hitting coach or in uniform. You're going to have this guy in jeans and a, and a blazer going to meetings, signing the right players, pushing the right buttons, and eventually celebrating another World Series. Well, there's no doubt he's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's, he should go in. Uh, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't go in right now. He's not running a club right now. He's not employed by a team. So uh, from that perspective – He's going into the Hall of Fame. The question is, when you've accomplished as much as he has, what do you do at age 50? You know, what what do you do with yourself? You do it again. For, you want to run for a Senate? You do it again. No. 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 Oh, my I mean, gosh, Bruce. It's almost boring when you've taken franchises from, uh, from 1908 and 1918 and won championships where it hadn't been won for – you know, 80, 88 years and uh, 108 years. What kind of challenges would you have left in baseball if you're Theo Epstein? You do it again. Success isn't boring. I, I think he finds ways to challenge himself uh, in different environments with different kind of obstacles to, to clear. And, and he, as, as Sean points out, he's addicted to the chase. Some guys are like that, and I, and I respect him for that because – he got away, and he has never really overstayed his welcome. He knew exactly when to get out in Chicago in retrospect. People can be upset that he left and what he, uh, what he left behind in his wake, but he knew it was time, and he did well in doing what he did when he did it. And so he's made an impact in this role as a consultant to Major League Baseball. He's biding his time for the right opportunity next. And, Bruce, I don't think that will keep him away from – getting back to baseball because he's just – that's a sport he's ideally suited for. 
he, he, it might be a while. I mean, he's got three young kids that he's enjoying watching and driving to uh, baseball and, and hockey and soccer practice right it's now. A lot of traffic, Bruce. It's a lot of traffic. So many cups of uh, coffee, so many donuts you can eat waiting for them to finish their practices before you, you, you get a little antsy. But uh, I think he's really enjoying the family element of it right now. And, uh, and power to him that, as he said, he's not even 50 yet. He's accomplished everything in the world. He's a rich guy, and uh, he has every opportunity in the world to, to get back into baseball whenever he wants to. Well, I know our next guest will have thoughts on Theo Epstein and anything else you want to talk to him about. Paul Sullivan is the In the Wake of the News columnist for the Chicago Tribune, longtime baseball writer in this city. We will talk to him next. It's Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Hall. Uh, the whole team's not here yet, so it's a you know, wait-and-see thing. But uh, um, if you need a last year to have a chip on your shoulder, um, then you got one. But uh, I've had one my whole life. So, Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. David Hall, Bruce Levine, here until 11 o'clock. That was Lance Lynn on Friday. White Sox right-hander talking about having a chip on his shoulder his entire life. Great segue for our next guest who joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Paul Sullivan is the In the Wake of the News columnist for the Chicago Tribune, good friend and former colleague. Hey, Sully, how are you doing this morning? Great. How are you guys? Doing well. And the chip on your shoulder uh, <laughs> as, as, is a good segue because you know all about that a little bit. But Because I have uh, one? Well, I mean, you, you know. You have a whole bag of chips. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's bag for sure. Sully, I, I like to think of you as evenly balanced a chip on both shoulders. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm at Camelback Ranch, and uh, they won't let us. They kicked us out of the stadium, so uh, we have to work in the press box. They kicked us out of the complex, so yeah, I have a chip on my shoulder. So <laughs> we have to uh, work about uh, 20 minutes away from uh, where we the action is. So whatever. Let's start with the White Sox, Sully. It's been a very newsy week at Camelback Ranch because of the Mike Clevenger situation. It hasn't. Uh, uh, reach its conclusion. We don't know where the investigation stands with Major League Baseball. The White Sox and Mike Clevenger have been very vehement in in denying anything wrong in terms of his uh, his responsibility here. Said he will be fully exonerated. How would you describe the way they've handled it and where this is headed? Well, honestly, I was surprised that they let him talk, um, but uh, they they wanted him to, and he wanted to, and. He did talk the other day, but uh, then once we started, you know, really asking him some uh, deeper questions, uh, he just wanted to talk about baseball, and then it kind of made it like he was, you know, not going to talk about it anymore. And then she came on your station and talked, and uh, then they, uh, he talked again, I guess, yesterday to the Sun Times, complaining about what she said, and it, it, I think it's just going to go on and on and on and. It's just very unfortunate for Sox fans because I don't think anyone really wants to hear about this, but uh, it is a story, and until it ends, uh, we're going to have to report on it. You're in the position of general manager of the White Sox, not Rick Hahn. And you, oh, God. You, you, you are looking back at this situation as to what you may have done beforehand, what you should do now. 
uh, what does Paul Sullivan, the new general manager of the Chicago White Sox, look at when he looks at in the mirror and decides what he should have done and what he should do now? Well, that, that's a very scary scenario right there, Bruce. But uh, <laughs> I would say the first thing I would have done was not bring him to camp until this thing is resolved. Uh, the fact that they did, they're letting him talk, makes me believe that they do think it will be resolved and that he'll be exonerated. So um, if that's what they believe and if, if they think that's the case, then I guess it makes sense for him to, you know, get ready for spring but or for the regular season. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's uh, She gets very detailed uh, descriptions of what happened, and uh, it would be very difficult to believe that she made all this up. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, if they expected her just to be quiet after he spoke, I, that's kind of ludicrous too. You know, she's going to – I didn't know if she'd go on your station, but I figured she'd be – on Instagram talking about it. So I think they just opened a whole can of worms by bringing him here. They, they just should have hit him basically. Right. And then uh, I've, I've written before, you know, maybe once it's over, uh, trying to cut the cord, but uh, it's probably, I don't think that's happening. It's probably a player association's uh, problem. Could be. Yeah. you, You know, well, Sully, and we're joined by Paul Sullivan from the Chicago Tribune here and inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7, the score. So she comes forward and, and um, makes her claims publicly, much the way that yeah. back in, uh, I think it was 2019, Addison Russell's accuser and ex-wife, Melissa Riddy, she went on uh, WGN and you know amplified her accusations. This is part of the story. The, the question is, I and mean, beyond that, he said, she said, Sully, I, I want to know what you think about two things. Number mm-hmm. one, the White Sox were not privy to any of this specifically because they, they went into free agency without having, you know, they couldn't find out because of the confidentiality. Does there have to be some, uh, at least conversation about changing the process where there could be access to people who might be on a list of, be, of players being investigated? And secondly, in terms of, you know, the the responsibility, if you want to call it that, of Mike Clevenger and his representation during these negotiations, wouldn't it come up? Do they have an obligation to share that they are the the, the subject of an investigation? Well, uh, Rick said that they didn't have the obligation to do that, and uh, obviously they did not do that. And um, Rick said he understood why. I would imagine because he knew they'd wouldn't sign him, uh, you know, $12 million, a lot of money. And uh, yeah, when we asked him, I think it was Stephanie from SI asked him uh, explicitly explicitly about it. He said that uh, he, he thought it was over, <laughs> which was ludicrous to think that, okay, yeah, they're going to investigate this, but then uh, it's just going to drop it and no one's going to say anything about it. So that was uh, kind of hard to believe that he thought that and, I don't believe that that was the case. Uh, as far as uh, MLB changing the policy, that's kind of tricky because, you know, if you're innocent, and uh, I'm not talking about this case, but in any case, if you are innocent and uh, you're under investigation, um, you know, and you don't want uh, other teams knowing about this because uh, you shouldn't be judged because of uh, something that didn't happen. So, I don't know. It's just very strange, and maybe they should have said something to the White Sox. It's, I, I 
you know, Rick Hahn doesn't really care for me too much, but I do think that uh, if he had known this, he wouldn't have signed him. I don't think he's that kind of a person. I think he's privately very upset about this, but, uh, you know, there's nothing they can do now except for, uh, in my in my estimation, cut the cord when uh, when this is all over. The big picture, I don't think Sox fans are going to uh, accept him. I don't know about you guys, but I, I just don't think, especially women and uh, people that are very, you know, right thinking about uh, domestic violence are not going to accept this guy pitching for them. Uh, well, the, the Cubs uh, fans did accept Aroldos Chapman, if you remember correctly. I do, I do, and uh, that was, uh, but they, he didn't pitch there very long. As you no. recall, they didn't re-sign him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there were there were 85 million reasons for that one, but it was probably not anything off the field. Uh, from the from your well, almost blew the World Series too. <laughs> 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 I mean, that was one of them. <laughs> I mean, uh, if they had lost that, he would have done the uh, the new Bartman, don't you think? Yeah, no doubt about that. Paul Sullivan yeah. joining us from Arizona on Inside the Clubhouse. David and Bruce every Saturday. 9 to 11 talking baseball with you 52 weeks out of the year. Sully, how about some baseball talk? Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you look at the uh, Chicago White Sox second base and right field situation? Where where do they stand right now in your mind and are these Achilles heels for them going into 2023? Uh not necessarily. I mean, we don't know. Uh if Colas is as good as he's been in the minors, I think that's not a bad thing for him to play at least part-time in right field. And uh, I even understand that I know no one wants the Eloy to be playing a lot in the outfield, but you know, maybe once or twice a week, I don't think that would hopefully wouldn't injure himself that way. As long as they tell him now, when you're out there, yeah. don't, you can't get hurt. Okay. Yeah. But I don't mind some, uh, situation where uh, Colas is out in right field because he's supposed to be a very good prospect. Uh, as far as second, I think uh, Romy's probably got the, uh, the best shot there, and you know he, he's had some good moments last year when we when they brought him up. Uh, you know, would I have liked to have seen the Sox assign someone or trade someone a second baseman for sure? But uh, I don't think it's like a killer. Uh, you know, they still have a pretty good offense uh, even aside from those two guys. If everyone plays up to their capability. Sully, so this week, as we do every year, we kind of hear the Pakoda projections, and you look at the debate whether or not they were too low or too high. Pretty low expectations in Chicago for both teams. 78 wins for the White Sox, 77 for the Cubs. Would it surprise you if both teams are below 500 this season? Uh, yeah, it would, honestly. Uh, I think uh... – there's just too much talent on the Sox to have another season like that. Obviously, you know, this is a bad start just on the surface just because of all the controversy, but uh, I still have some pretty good pitching, um, a really good bullpen, even if Liam's not there, and hopefully he'll be, you know, better and back at some point this season. But, uh, you know, Kelly looked good in September. He said he's healthy. Um, Graveman, I think, uh, can close for him. Uh, Crochet is going to be back probably in, you know, mid, late April, early May. Uh, so, yeah, they've got a lot of talent. I think last year could be an anomaly. I think people forget the Astros 
when they did the rebuild, they went backwards one year and everyone thought, you know, that was the end of them. And, and they've been ever since then. So um, teams can have bad years. There was a lot of different reasons for that last year. I think the manager was part of it, not all of it, but uh, definitely there's talent enough to, to compete. And the Cubs, you know, that's, I, I think they could finish under 500, but, uh, you know, we'll have to see about that. They've got so many players on comebacks, comeback years that uh, it's kind of hard to project them. Sully, uh, the first year since 2020 when David uh, Ross took over as manager, that the Cubs are being looked at as uh, a competitive team again. Will there be any pressure on David Ross to bring home a, a team that's over 500 that's in the mix all year in the mix all season long well there will from us for sure from the media i don't know about from uh, jed or that although they you know everyone seems to go into the season saying they're going to contend but uh he did get the extension last year um you know this is his what, fourth season um and you know they just love him so i i don't see him being in any trouble but, uh, yeah, they should contend, and uh, there should be more pressure on him. Um, we've really yet to see him with a with a contending-type team. We did, I guess, in 2020 in the shortened season, but that was, you know, that was such a strange season, and they didn't even win a playoff game. So uh, I'd like to put some pressure on him. I, we don't know what he can do yet, and uh, he's certainly got some chances. So, uh, you know, let's go. So, Sully, controversy kind of makes it an obvious answer to the White Sox, uh, what, what you know, people are talking about this week. If you're going to Sloan Park, if you're going to Mesa, what, in your mind, is the most compelling storyline unfolding there? And if you had to you know, devote a, a day to going to talk to some one person for an extended period of time, who would that be? Well, I would say the two people who haven't, Oh, yes, uh, for the Cubs, it would be Bellinger, um, who hasn't – he's been around, but uh, he's delayed his uh, entrance. Uh, you know, he's going to be a very important part of this team. Uh, he was an MVP a few years ago and then just completely lost it, uh, you know, so he's got to change some of his mechanics, obviously. Uh, for the White Sox, it would be Tim Anderson, um, all-star, you know, face of the franchise, but uh, – had a poor defensive year last year and uh, really not a very good second half. Uh, lost his power, got injured, uh, didn't return, kind of disappeared in the off season, and uh, he hasn't spoken either yet. Hopefully, today or tomorrow. So uh, it's a lot different from the old days. I don't know if you guys are coming down here, but you remember you used to come to spring training and there'd be like a bunch of guys in the clubhouse to you just roam around, talk to whoever you want, Rizzo, Bryant, or Yep. Um, but now they kind of like tell players, okay, you're talking today, you're talking today. And they kind of parcel it out uh, over the first week, which is fine if you're a beat writer and you're going to be here all spring. But if you're here for TV or radio or you're only here for a few days, it's, it's very difficult to get what you need. Well, hopefully you will, and we'll be reading about it either way. Pick up a paper on Sunday. Go to ChicagoTribune.com. Paul Sullivan in the wake of the news columnist, always you worth your time. Uh, you no plans now? right now, Sully. No plans right First? now, but you, uh, it's a it's a big uh, on hold right now. So uh, wow, we need you. I'm I'm the only old guy here. 
<laughs> be there. I haven't missed I haven't missed the spring training since uh, 1988. So uh, from that perspective, well, we miss uh, you. Yeah, Come on thanks. down. Come on, Mitch. Appreciate, get him down here. Appreciate it. It's not Sully. on Mitch. It's a uh, it's, it's personal. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Thanks for your time, oh, okay. Sully. Sorry. Appreciate okay. uh, all, all that you uh, uh, brought to the table this morning. Keep it up, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks. Paul Sullivan from the Chicago Tribune. When we come back, we'll wrap things up here inside the Clubhouse Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. So ninth inning, closing things up, Bruce. I wanted to ask you about the topic we talked about last week at this time, hot one across Major League Baseball. This week, uh, we got some news about the future of Diamond Sports, which owns 19 regional cable networks involving 14 Major League teams. The They entered a 30-day grace period Wednesday with creditors after missing a scheduled interest payment of $140 million. That's about a billion dollars at stake for Major League Baseball teams. Rob Manfred says, we are prepared, no matter what happens, to make sure the games are available to fans in local markets. Our hope is that Diamond figures a way to pay us. So this is something that could affect how games, no matter how quickly they're played, are are viewed by baseball fans across the country and markets everywhere. Well, we talked about it last week at, at some length, David, and the, the, the reality is that um, within a few years, uh, you know, the cable industry will no longer be the the, the number one uh, place to get your your sports, and is in particular baseball. Major League Baseball is working on their own streaming system. They're holding teams off from doing their stream, their own streaming, which uh, the Cubs were were pretty uh, uh, on top of and ready to go with with Marquee uh, this year. Uh, they're they're holding things off because Major League Baseball is trying to find a way to identify how to how to get these streamed and how to get them uh, producing uh, enough revenue to satisfy the clubs. So right now, Major League Baseball is guaranteed, as we said last week that no fans are going to miss their games on television. But here is the problem. The problem is is that there is no way for Major League Baseball, other than to get the production done for every game for these teams, to be able to identify how they're going to produce revenue for these games. Yeah, you can sell – teams can sell their own advertising. That's fine. But, you know, normally, uh, you know, unless you have – places like the Yes Network when you, or the Dodgers or the Cubs with Marquee, uh, it's not in-house. You know, it, it's outside of the house. They pay a rights fee for this. Where is the money coming from to produce uh, these games? You know, most of the teams getting anywhere from 60 to $150 million a year. In the case of the Dodgers, $300 million a year for their TV rights for the next 10 years. So from that perspective, you know, where does this go? How does Major League Baseball identify a way to monetize this situation? Quickly, Manfred also addressed how MLB is going to continue to try to resolve these blackout restrictions in markets throughout the country. Fans can't see the games they want to watch. And he said that the biggest priority, the number one priority is reach and trying to find a way to balance everything there. But that's another issue in terms of it's a game everybody wants to see improved, Bruce, but everybody wants to see 
the games, and that's a big part of it. Yeah, I, I, the one the one question I would have as a fan, and I am one, is how did we get to this place so quickly without a solution? You know, being coming up here. You know, how did we see the crash of the cable market, uh, the influx of uh, streaming? and Major League Baseball and other sports not necessarily prepared for this all happening at once? That's a good question. There's going to be a lot more coming up this week, and we're going to be there all week long on the Mullen Haw Show throughout the day on the score. The Cubs are in Mesa at Sloan Park and the White Sox, certainly at Camelback Ranch. Plenty to talk about at White Sox Spring Training. Bruce, thank you for lining up the guests today. Thank you for all your contributions. It was a very interesting show. It was a great show. We thank Paul Sullivan for joining us from the Tribune. Also, Jan Gomes from the Chicago Cubs. People can follow me on Twitter, MLB Bruce Levine. Also on our website, 670thescore.com. Great job by Sean Sears, our great producer. David, have a wonderful week. Thanks so much for being a great co-host every single Saturday. Thank you, Bruce, and thank you, everyone, for listening, calling, texting, and contributing. You've been listening to Inside the Clubhouse right here on Chicago Sports Radio. 670 the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.